We are kicking off a brand new series today called Start to Finish, because as we kick off a new year, we want you to start well and to finish strong. And so we are going to be giving you some tools, some things that will help you do that in this year, because we believe this could be a year of great change, of great transformation for you. And what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be looking at the life of the Apostle Paul and kind of our key scripture for the entirety of this series comes out of the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. In 2 Timothy, Paul is nearing the end of his life. And so it's a, very, it's a very interesting book. It's very personal. It's very reflective. And Paul's looking back on his life, and he's reflecting on his purpose, and he's reflecting on what has allowed him to start well and what has allowed him to finish strong. And so in 2 Timothy 3.10, it says this, But you, Timothy... Certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about those things. Faith, patience, love, and endurance. Because these are the things that are going to help you start well. And these are the things that are going to help you finish strong. And so today we're going to be looking at this first one, faith. And in every week we're going to be looking at stories out of the Apostle Paul's life. And Paul was an interesting, interesting dude in the New Testament, probably next to Jesus, the most foundational figure in the New Testament, wrote two-thirds of it. But he wasn't always Paul. If you're not familiar with his story, Paul used to be Saul. And when he was Saul, he was tasked with killing Christians. And so he rode around and killed Christians and saw to, to their death until one day he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. Now Paul went from being a Christian killer to being the foremost evangelist and spreader of the gospel. I can tell you only one thing can cause a radical transformation like that when you have a genuine encounter with who Jesus is. And so the story that we're going to be looking at today is found in Acts chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, I would encourage you to go to your app store, download the Uversion Bible app, or on that app, you can go to the events tab on that app and follow along with today's scripture. We are going to be in Acts 20, and just a little background on where we're picking up the story. Paul has a desire to go to the city of Jerusalem to preach the gospel. There's only one problem there. See, now because Paul has uh, gone and converted to Christianity, the religious leaders of this time are ticked at Paul. In fact, Paul is their most wanted man. There are most, there are wanted pictures of Paul all over Jerusalem. And so Paul knows, and everyone knows, Paul, if you set foot in Jerusalem, you're a dead man. They're coming after you, Paul. And so time and time again, his friends, his colleagues are saying, Paul, what are you thinking? Man, this is a suicide mission. You can't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die, Paul. And yet Paul's like, I feel I've got to go to Jerusalem. And so we pick it up in verse 22, Acts 20, starting in verse 22. It says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Some of you just got back from that road trip over your holiday. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Today, we're going to be talking about faith. Specifically, we're going to be talking about having faith to see 
the finish line. So, Father, right now we open up our hearts to you and we ask that you would speak to us, God, whether we've been following you for a long time or whether we were dragged here against our will this morning, whatever reason finds us here, God, we're here on purpose, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to us today, God. We just ask, Lord, that that you would speak to our hearts, you'd, you'd speak to our mind today, you'd challenge us, God, that you'd stretch us, and God, that by the end of this, Lord, that we would take steps toward knowing you today. And so, God, we submit to you, have your way in us. And church, if you're ready to hear from God this morning, can I get a big amen? Amen. amen. You guys can be seated. Love that. That amen was way louder than the 9.30, so 11 o'clock, you guys are rocking it. So we've come to the end of a decade and kicking off a brand new decade. I found out this morning from a friend that there's great controversy on the internet as to whether or not the new decade officially starts this year or whether it officially starts in 2021. I, I don't know the answer. All I know is all of my illustrations this morning have to do with the decade starting this year. So regardless of what camp you're in, you just have to go with me on it, church, okay? And, and so I honestly peel back the curtain a little bit, I kind of struggled as to whether or not I would talk about, you know, new year, new decade, because I'm like, God, that's, that's so cliche. Surely, Lord, I'm more creative than that. So let me give you some things that happened at this decade, and we're going to talk about this decade, because um, it only happens, you know, once every 10 years, obviously. So if this falls flat, I'll just remember not to do it in 2030. Deal? So, so this decade, you know, we look back on it. 10 years ago, the number one song 10 years ago was TikTok by Kesha. Some of you know, don't, don't pretend like you're above listening, rocking some Kesha, you know. Don't stop, make it rock, DJ, blow my speakers up. Some of, you, some of you still have that on your playlist. I know you do. <laughs> 10 years ago, Kesha, TikTok, number one song. Fast forward 10 years later, TikTok, today, the number one app. If you don't know what TikTok is, find someone under 20, ask them, they will fill you in on TikTok. 10 years ago, number one movie, Toy Story, three. I just took my family last year to see Toy Story 4, and so at this rate, I can't wait to see Toy Story 5 with my nine-year-old when she graduates from high school. You know, that's going to be a graduation present. You know, we'll go see Toy Story 5. I'm a big tech nerd, and so I love technology. Ten years ago, the iPad was unveiled, and now today, everything is touchscreen. Your cars, if you buy a new car, it has a giant tablet in it. It's everything that, that started ten years ago when the iPad was unveiled. Personally for me, in, in 10 years, it's, it's been a great transition. 10 years ago at this point, we were pregnant with our first, well, I mean, not, we were pregnant, my wife was pregnant, she did the work, I, I just did one thing. Um, we were pregnant with our, our first child. And, um, you know, so I, I like to say that 10 years ago, we had some kids, or we had some money and no kids, and now we have some kids and no money. And that's, that's how life works 10 years from now. And so it's natural for us to reflect at this time of year, as we turn over a new year, as we turn over a new decade, it's natural for us to reflect on where we are, on where we want to be, on the things we've not yet accomplished, on the things that we want to do. And so that leads to, of course, New Year's resolutions. And whether or not you're a resolution person or not, I'm not really, but I think naturally, you know, we do reflect on, man, it'd be great if I lost some weight this year, it'd be great if we got out of debt this year. Be great maybe if I read some more books this year, or maybe this is the year I spend more time with my family. Maybe I could try to work less this year. Whatever that is, we tend to make resolutions, but it doesn't take long for us to get into the year before those resolutions come apart. Some of you, it's January 5th. Maybe you've already failed on your resolution. 
that's okay. Well, you're in the first week. I think you get a mulligan. So start over again, starting from today. But, but the thing is, it's hard to keep, and we keep failing at, revolu- at resolutions. And why is that? Well, I think fundamentally it's because resolutions don't really inspire us to action. I think resolutions really fall into the it'd be nice category. Like, man, it'd be nice if I lost some weight. It'd be nice if we were able to go on a vacation this year. It'd be nice if, you know, I read some books. It'd be nice if maybe I was at the gym a little more. It'd be nice, but it'd be nice is not really enough for us to overcome adversity. It'd be nice is not really enough for us to overcome hardship. It'd be nice is not enough for us to sacrifice deeply when we don't feel like it. We need more than it'd be nice. We need more than resolutionary thinking. See, I believe this year that if you want to see change in 2020, if you want to see change that not only impacts 2020, but impacts the next decade so that you look back on your life at 2030, at 2040, and you see significance, and you see difference, and you see impact, that it's going to take more than a resolution. In fact, I believe that God wants you to move from resolution to revolution. That God wants you to move from resolution to revolution. That God doesn't just want you to think resolutionary. It'd be nice if I did this. It'd be nice if I had that. But God wants you to begin a revolution in your life. That he wants to do a revolution in you. And that he wants to do a revolution through you. That there's change that will impact your life. That will impact your community. That will impact your workplace. That will impact your family. That will last for years to come. He doesn't want you just to have a resolution. But he wants you to have a revolution. But how do we get there? How do we have a revolutionary life? How do we turn resolutions into revolutions? Well, I believe that resolutions become revolutions when you know the why behind the what. That resolutions become revolutions when you know the why behind the what. Let me explain what I mean by that. See, all of us in here know the what. You know what you should be doing to live a better life. You know what you should be doing to accomplish the things that you want to do. I know that I should eat better. I know that I should work out. I know that I should spend less money. I know that I should serve at the church. I know that I should start giving. I know that I should try to be a better person. I I know the what. But what we miss and why it just stays at the resolution level is we miss the why behind the what. See, when you add why to your what, you move from resolution to revolution. When you add the why, when you know the purpose behind it. For example, let's take, let's take weight, for example. Oh, you know, it, I'd be nice if I could lose a few pounds. That's resolutionary thinking. Let me tell you what revolutionary thinking looks like. When you start adding the why behind that, say, you know what, I'm going to live different, and I'm going to live healthy, and I'm going to live fit so that I can be there, and, and I can be in my children's life, and not only that, so I can be in my grandchildren's life, and because I believe that my best years are not behind me, but my best years are ahead of me, and God still has plans, and God still has purposes for my life, and I'm not going to get there if, if I can't move, and if I'm in bad health, and I'm out of shape, so I'm going to maintain myself because I want to be in position so that when God has good things ahead of me, so that my best years are ahead of me so I can take vacations so I can go and I can run my grandkids ragged at Disney World because I believe that God has good things in store for me. So I'm going to do everything I can to take care of the body that he's given me. I'm going to be a good steward of what he's given me so that I can enjoy the good things that are yet to come. Do you see how that's different than I want to lose 10 pounds? 
Some of you, you want to you do better with your money. Resolutionary thinking says, man, it'd be nice if I could pay off a credit card this year. Revolutionary thinking says, man, I want to I get out of debt so that I can start exercising radical generosity in my life so that I can sow into the kingdom, so that I can be a kingdom investor, man, so that I can, I can invest in people so that when there's a need that comes up, I can give generously without worrying about whether it's going to hurt my family so that I can sow into ministry, so that I can sow into people so that I'm not bound anymore to a credit card, so I'm not bound anymore to a student mortgage, so I have freedom in life, my life so it changes my family tree so that my kids know financial freedom. Do you see how that's different than I want to pay off a credit card this year? When you know the why behind the what, it moves you from resolution to revolution. And that's what God wants for us today is to have a revolutionary kind of life. See, that when you add that why, what happens is all of a sudden your faith begins to unlock. And, and then you have the faith to see the finish line. You have the faith to see not just what I'm supposed to do, but the why I'm supposed to do it. You have the faith and unlocks the vision for your life, a, a life of what could be, and what should be. You have the faith to see the finish line. And when you have the why, when you know the why, when you attach that to your life, all of a sudden it aligns your life and you have a goal and you have something to run toward. I have a four-year-old and right now one of the biggest things we try to teach our four-year-old is eyes forward, eyes forward. You have to look where you're going because my four-year-old walks like this. Looks everywhere but what's ahead of him, which is fine until he meets the corner of the coffee table. You know what I'm saying? When you have a revolutionary vision for your life, it helps you have your eyes forward so you can see where you're going. And I believe God wants to unlock that in each and every one of you. If you don't know what that is, if you don't know where to start, man, I want to encourage you to sign up for Discover Purpose because it'll help you unlock the vision and the plan and why you're wired and the way you are and why you are passionate about the things that you're passionate about. I believe, many, I believe many of us in this place, and we already have an idea of what God wants to do in our life. And we have an idea of, man, I, I, I can see what I want my family to look like. I could see what I want my finances to look like. I could see, if I really stopped, I could see what I want my health to look like. I could see whatever it is. I can see what I want my life to look like. How do I, how do I get there? How do I accomplish that revolutionary vision? And this is what we're going to work towards today, because Paul was a man that possessed this kind of vision. When you look at that scripture in Timothy, he says, I know what my purpose is. I know what I've run towards. I, I see the goal. I see the end. I see the finish line. I know what I've given my life toward. And if having that kind of life were easy, we would all have it. But there's obstacles that come in our way. And today I want to talk to you about three obstacles that face anyone who wants to accomplish revolutionary things in your life. And these three obstacles are simple, but they can trip us up time and time again. But today we're going to expose them. We're going to shine some light onto them because I think if you can get past these things, man, it will unlock some things in your life that you will live 2020, 2030, 2040 in a completely new and completely fresh light. And so we're going to talk about these three things today, and it's going to unlock revolutionary living for us, I believe. So are you guys ready to get into this? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That was better than 930 as well. That's the way to go, guys. So Paul lays out these three things, and we see these in Acts 20, starting in verse 22. He says, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. So the first obstacle that you're going to face if you want to live a revolutionary life 
is this. You're going to face the unknown. You're going to face the unknown. And because of that, you're going to need to have faith to see in the unknown. Will you say that with me? Faith to see in the unknown. You're going to have to have faith to see in the unknown. And so last year, I took my family, took my kids to see the movie Frozen 2. Now, um, this is significant for us because Frozen 1 was one of the first movies that we ever saw as a family once we had kids. And so it was really great. You know, for those of you that, that may remember Frozen 1, you remember the big song from Frozen 1 was Let It Go. And so having kids for years from the back seat, you know, they, were, they would just belt out Let It Go. And, you know, just the great high notes, you know, and that song is like, Let It Go, Let It Go, you know. It's just so the, that was my life for several years. So, of course, in Frozen 2, the big song is called Into the Unknown. They had to up the ante. See, because in Let It Go, they only had one time in the song where it's this gigantic, like, scream at the top of your lungs note. It's kind of toward the end of the song. You know, Elsa's like, let the storm rage on! You know, it's just this big note. My kids would do that, and my ears would ring for a week, you know. But now in Frozen 2 and Into the Unknown, there's one of these notes in every single chorus of the song. You know, so my kids are in the back seat. We're listening to the soundtrack, man. I tell you, and it is like, into the unknown, into the unknown, into the unknown, and they're just belting it out. <laughs> and, and, and that's what parenthood is about, folks. I mean, that's just, that's what it is right there. So in Frozen 2, just without spoilers, because I know you're going to rush out and see it after I, I hype it up, you know, so much. Frozen 2, Elsa is ruler of Arendelle, and she, everything's good, you know, there's peace and there's calm in the kingdom, but she's starting to hear this voice that, that's coming from this enchanted mist. As I know, I'm talking it up, you're getting really excited about it. This voice that comes from this enchanted mist, and, and the song, Into the Unknown, is about the tension that's within her. Should I stay in what's safe to me, or should I leave it to pursue this voice into this mist that's unknown, that no one's ever been to? And church, can I tell you today, that if you're going to have a revolutionary life, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, there are going to be times where he is going to lead you into the unknown, where he's going to lead you where you can't see. If you're a planner here, this is bad news for you this morning because you can't do A to Z and you may not be able to do your one-year, five-year, 10-year plan because sometimes God's going to mess all that up and sometimes God's going to ask you to take a step and you're going to have to step out into the unknown. This is the story of scripture. Abraham, get up. Go to a land that you don't know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get up. Get into the fire. We don't know if God's going to save us. We think he will, but we don't know. Peter, step out of that boat into the water. What are you doing? You're stepping out into the unknown. And following Jesus means you don't always know what's going to be in the next step. And see, this is exactly what Paul said. Paul said, I want to go to Jerusalem. Look, I don't know what awaits me there. Following the call of God in your life oftentimes will lead you into the unknown. I think God does this for a specific reason. I believe that's because the unknown reveals our trust in God, and the unknown reveals our view of God. The unknown reveals our trust in God, and the unknown reveals our view of God. So for my 30th birthday, my wife threw a surprise party for me. I've never had a surprise party before. It was pretty cool. Rented out like the Stokely Event Center and all these people from, you know, all times in my life were there. So to get me to the surprise party, 
she blindfolded me and put me in the car and then drove me around like, you know, all over so I wouldn't know where we were going until we, and then we ended up in the surprise party. Now, let me ask you this. If I did not trust my wife and if I had a negative view of my wife, if I really didn't believe my wife had my best interest in heart, when she blindfolds me and starts driving me around, I would start to freak out. I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the moment she's going to take me off into the woods and off me. I knew this day was coming. I've seen the look in her eyes. I knew it. I knew it. Crazy woman's going to try to kill me. If we don't have a trust in God, and if we have a negative view of God, when we step out into the unknown, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be trying to fight him and buck him the whole time. What are you doing, God? Why are you leading me this way? God, do you know where you're going? God, what are you doing? But if we trust him, and if we believe that he's good, just like what we sang today, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. It's easy to sing that when everything makes sense, when everything is going well. But when you're in the unknown, do you believe he's good? When you're in the unknown, do you believe he's still faithful? Because our, when in the unknown, that's when we're, what we think about God and our trust for him is actually revealed to us. And so it's so important in this time, man, it's God, I can bind myself to you. I can, I can go where you go. I can, I can let you drive, God. I can, I can Jesus take the wheel. God, I can let you drive because I trust you because I believe you're good. So I believe God will lead you to good things. I don't believe he'll always lead you to easy things, but I believe he'll always lead you to good things. He'll always lead you to good things, but it doesn't mean he'll always lead you to easy things. And so in this, we have to have the faith to see the finish line. We have to have the faith to say, you know what, God, you see the end, God. And God, I, I believe in this vision. And God, you may be taking me around the long way. You may be taking me away that I don't understand, but God, I trust in you because faith says this. Faith said that God knows the way even when I can't see the way. God knows the way even when I can't see the way. Second thing that we're going to see today in verse 23 it says, except, Paul saying, except that the Holy Spirit tells me. So Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to the unknown, but I do know one thing. Except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So we talked about the unknown. The second obstacle is this. It's the uncomfortable. And because of the uncomfortable, we need this. We need faith to see past the uncomfortable. Say that with me. Faith to see past the uncomfortable. So I take my mom to the eye doctor pretty much on a monthly basis now because uh, my mom has diabetes that's affected her vision. And I'm kind of, I, I'm intrigued by medical stuff. So like if someone has a surgery or something like that, I'm not, I'm not really squeamish about those things. Like I like hearing the stories or seeing a picture or something like that. It does not gross me out, except when it comes to eyes. Man, I eye stuff just freaks me out. Like, my wife wears contacts, and I cannot watch her do the contact. Like, she's poking herself in the eye. Ah, it, just, it just gives me the jibblies every time I think about it. And so, so I go to take my mom. The first time we go to the eye doctor, and um, they, they do the laser thing. But not only that, you know, they say, well, Miss Kim, we're going to have to give you an injection in your eye. And initially, I'm like, okay, I kind of want to see that. And so... <laughs> I'm sitting in the room with her, and, and they, they like get the, uh, the numbing stuff on there, and, and she looks, and then like, they grab a needle, and they stick it in her eye. Ah! Ah! 
And so ever since then, I wait in the waiting room when my mom is in the, the, I tell you, church, if that was me, I would just be blind. You know what I'm saying? I'd have my seeing eye dog picked out. I'd be like, come here, Rover, you and I are now best friends. Like, church, if, if you want to accomplish revolutionary vision in your life, if you, want to, if you want to accomplish God's vision for your life, sometimes you're going to have to endure things that are uncomfortable. Sometimes you're going to have to endure things that are uncomfortable. And, and I want to provide some clarity on this because I think we have an incorrect view of what that statement means in the church, that when God is asking us to be uncomfortable, we're like, that's it. I knew it. God's telling me to move to Ethiopia. I might as well go join the Ethiopian church because that's where God's going to send me because he wants me to be uncomfortable. So long, indoor plumbing. You know, just whatever, whatever that looks like for you. But, but I want to... That's how my humor works. It just takes a second. It settles in slowly. But I, I want to tell you, I, I want us to reframe what being uncomfortable looks like because I, I think for some of us, we think it's so radical. It's like God's calling me to Ethiopia or God's calling me to do this radical thing. Now, let me, let me stop and say, maybe, maybe. Maybe God is calling you to do something radical. Maybe there's an uncomfortableness that's going to come in your life that is a gigantic swing and a, a gigantic shift in direction. I do not want to discount that either. Sometimes God will tell you to do that. But that's not everybody and that's not every time. But I think God does call us to live in an area that's just outside of our comfort zone. I want to demonstrate that because I don't think it takes much for us to be outside of our comfort zone. For example, in this room right now, half of you are too hot and half of you are too cold, and the other half of you think it's just right. That's, a, that's another math joke. A few of you got that. But the truth is, if I changed the thermostat five degrees in either direction, it would make most of us in this room uncomfortable. Like at my house, one degree makes all the difference. You know, like the difference between 72 and 73 in my house is ginormous. 72, we all have snot sickles. 73, we're all running around in our underwear because it's too hot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but five degrees makes all the difference in that it doesn't, it's not going to kill you. If your house was set five degrees difference, it wouldn't kill you, but it would make you uncomfortable. It doesn't take much for us to be uncomfortable. I want to demonstrate that, that for some of you, it, it, it's just a five degree shift to be in the zone where God wants you to be. And I want to demonstrate that. See, I have a, um, did you know there's a compass app? on your phone. Now, if I was lost in the woods, this compass app would do me no good. I don't know. I mean, I know how to use it, but I don't, I don't know what to use it for. You know, it's like I'd probably throw it at a squirrel to try to kill it to get something to eat. But other than that, you know, I, I, would, be, I would be lost with this. But I do know this, that, that a lot of times we think that, that being uncomfortable for the kingdom of God means that I have to make a 180 degree turn. God, you're calling me to Ethiopia. God, God you're going you're gonna to call me to sell everything and give it all to the poor. Once again, maybe but I, I think a lot of times we think that, that God's calling us to 180-degree turn. But, but, but what if it was just five degrees? What if God was calling you to make a shift that, that was just enough to get you out of your comfort zone? See, because five degrees is... Oh, I'm sorry, went too far. Five, five degrees is this. Here, 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 here. But the, but the power of that is... Is, is that if I can shift my perspective, if I can shift my attitude, if I can shift myself just five degrees, what happens over the course of time is that God puts me on a completely different trajectory. That if I'm heading towards Dallas this way, but if I shift myself five degrees, I may end up in the Gulf of Mexico. You know what I mean? That, that over the course of time, living just outside of your comfort zone can make an, 
an amazing difference for the kingdom of God. That, that maybe God's not asking you to do this, but maybe God is asking you just to shift yourself. It may not be perceptible to other people. It may just be a shift in your attitude or a shift in your perception or a shift in how you look at something, a shift in your approach, but that God would tell you to lift five degrees off so that he could do great things in your life. Let me illustrate how this has worked in my life. So as a staff, we have been focusing on sharing Christ and what that means for us to be evangelistic and for us to share the gospel with people. When we initially rolled this out, in my head, I immediately went to a 180-degree shift. Oh my gosh, we are going to be those crazy people on the side of the road. Turn or burn! Turn or burn! Heathens are going to hell! That, that, I was like, that's, I can't do that. I, I can't be that. I, I, I just, I, what, can I get a job selling cars? I don't want to do this, you know? It's like... But, but what really has happened is God's told us to make a five-degree shift, just to step outside of our comfort zone. And what that means for us as a staff and what we've been challenged to do is to look and to, to re-examine every situation that we come across and see, is there a way I can bring Christ into this situation? Is there a way I can bring life into this situation? That when I'm at Walmart or when I'm at Target and I see that the cashier just looks like that, they just had an awful day, that instead of just like, man, I wish they'd bag my groceries faster, I could say, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? And really care and demonstrate concern and and maybe just speak some life or speak some encouragement. Man, it's going to be all right. You know what? You're doing great. Just just speaking some life and speaking some encouragement. My neighbors went on a a vacation, you know, and they they texted, hey, we're going to go on vacation instead of saying, well, have a good trip. I said, hey, is there anything we can do? Can we we watch your dogs? We ended up watching their dogs while they went out on vacation. What what was that? It was just a five-degree shift outside of our comfort zone to say, God, where, where are you operating? God, where, where are you uh, trying to speak? What are you trying to do? Because you know what? That's, that's not me naturally. I want to be introverted. I want to be in my little shell. I want to just have my little bubble. But God's saying, what if you stepped out of your bubble? What if you stepped out of yourself and you stepped into the zone where it's my power operating through you, where it's my spirit operating through your church? I want to tell you this. If you want to make a difference that lasts this year, that lasts next year, that lasts through 2020, through 2030, through 2040, you need to shift your perspective. You need to shift your attitude just five degrees, just outside of your comfort zone, just outside of yourself, where you're now stepping out of your power, out of your strength, into God's power, and into God's strength, so that he can do great things in you, so that he can do great things through you. It doesn't take a 180 every time, church. It just takes five degrees for you to step out of your comfort and step into the power that he has for you. But the difference it will make will change the trajectory of your life so that you look back on your life 20, 30, 40 years from now and you see the hand of God at work because you allowed yourself to step out of your comfort and into his power. Can we give him some praise for that? In verse 24, Paul says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. We talked about the unknown. We talked about the uncomfortable. The third obstacle is that of the unfinished. And I believe that God is calling us today to have faith to seize the unfinished. I want to invite the worship team to come back up, to have faith to seize the unfinished. I am the king at starting a project. Like, I am really good at starting projects. In our kitchen, in our house, our house was built in the early 2000s. It had wallpaper in the kitchen and dining room. It was that beige wallpaper with the grapes 
and the vines. Some of you know exactly what wallpaper I am talking about. And so one day, we're sitting in the kitchen, and it's near Mother's Day, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to tear that wallpaper down and repaint the kitchen. That's going to be my Mother's Day present to my wife. And so I just get up, and I just go. You know, there's always that corner that's loose, and I just went, you know, just rip that bad boy up. And I was like, that's it. We're doing it. And so for a few days, man, I am gung-ho about tearing off the wallpaper. I'm up there with the spray bottles, you know, getting the wallpaper up, and it's it's going great. And I get about halfway through, and then life just happens. It fizzle out. And the wallpaper is half torn out of our kitchen and our dining room for a year. And it sits there, sheetrock on one side, grapes on the other side, until the next Mother's Day, I call Stan at Artistic Applications, and I say, um, Stan, what would it take for uh, you guys to come out and finish the kitchen? So they come out and... Uh, finish out the wall, uh, tearing off the wallpaper and texture it, and man, it looks great now. But the thing is, I didn't get credit for finishing the project. I mean, kind of, but, but not really. It was really Stan. And I believe that some of you here in this place, you have things that are half finished in your life, that are unfinished, that you've given up on, that you have dreams that God has given you in your life about what your family could be, that you have dreams in your life about what your finances could be. You have dreams in your life about what your faith could look like, about what you could look like physically, about all these things that you have given up on and remain unfinished. And I believe that God doesn't want you to leave those things unfinished any longer. And I believe that if you're, maybe, maybe it was because it was too un, the unknown was too much and it was, the, the strain of stepping out into areas where you couldn't see it, you couldn't plan it, and you couldn't know it anymore became too much and you gave up on that dream. Or maybe it was because it was too uncomfortable and demanded too much and you got tired of the sacrifice and you got tired of cutting corners to make it work and you walked away and said, it's too much, God. I can't do it. But I believe that revolutionary living happens when you say, you know what? Just like Paul said, that my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing. Everyone say finishing. Finishing the work that God has assigned. God does not want you to live a half-finished life. God does not want you to die with half-finished dreams. God does not want you to meet him with half-finished works that he's assigned to you. God wants you to finish the work. But it's going to take you saying, God, I'll endure the unknown. God, I'll endure the uncomfortable. God, I will seize the unfinished. And God, I will give my life to finishing the work. God, I have faith to see the finish line. I have faith to know the why behind the what. And because of that, God, I'm going to grab a hold of you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go, God, until you complete the work that you want done in my life. Church, can we stand?